So, hello and welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Simon Hodgkins, and I'm delighted to be joined once again for the second time here on Vista Talks by our very own Orn Villiers. You're very welcome, Orn. Thank you very much. Happy to be back again. It's been a while, I think, hasn't it? It's been too long and a lot has happened, so I'm dying mm -hmm. to get into this discussion with you. So let's move on. Let's get on to the show. And let's start for people who may not be as familiar with you as I am. Let's have a little brief discussion about your localization journey up to today. Uh, um, for those listening, you're the chief sales officer of the VistaTech organization, fundamental to getting VistaTech started off in the USA. And I know that your localization career started off as a Swedish linguist at Microsoft uh, back, yes. in, back in 88, if I can say that. You can say that, and isn't that remarkable seeing that I'm only 29? But it's incredible. Uh, look, my standard, wide... my standard line. <laughs> yes. <laughs> look, you've um, had a wide variety of positions in this busy, busy and getting busier world of localization. So maybe just tell us a little bit about that first one. Yeah, so of course, those were very different times. And Ireland was pretty much the cradle of, of localization, I guess, and as much as things have changed, a lot of things still are the same. It's surprising to me how many people even today, you know, when you ask them how they got into this business sort of slipped in the way I did. <laughs> yeah. Even when there are, you know, there are programs for getting educated, you know, widely in Ireland and all over the US and elsewhere in the world. But I, from my perspective, I was on a six month sort of sabbatical in Ireland that kept getting extended. And when Microsoft moved Swedish and Dutch from having been centered in Redmond for localization over to, over to their office in Ireland, I happened to be there and I happened to be Swedish. I knew nothing about, you know, computers or technology. I certainly wasn't a linguist, but, you know, they hired me <laughs> and that was it. So, yeah, so I started as a whatever the title might have been back then, but I pretty much localized one product for a year into one into one language. And that certainly has changed. Well, look, for sure. And I know you said in, a, in an interview uh, at one stage that you'd walk through almost every discipline in the, the localization industry. You joined mm -hmm. VistaTech back in 97. Mm -hmm. And you I know you successfully established VistaTech's first US office. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure you've seen an awful lot of change from today's sales and commercial perspective. I mean, let me, let, me ask, let, let me ask you about that. I mean, today, from a, from a, a commercial perspective, the, the pain points today and the, the areas that these large global organizations are looking for the most assistance with, what are they like today? Are they really, really bespoke today? Or do you still see that similarity to, you know, 20 odd years ago? In a way, so I think the newer companies, it's very interesting, companies that are unicorns or up and comings or, you know, and I wouldn't even say dot coms because that's a very old concept, but companies that are starting out today are thinking differently and they're actually often thinking globally from the outset, if that is their ultimate ambition. Where you see the older behavior is still in the more traditional companies. I'm going to put that in a bit of context, right? So when we started out all those years ago, localization as a discipline was pretty much limited to the IT industry. So, you know, Microsoft was no accident, right? That was, you know, they kind of wrote the book in the early days. 
But these days, all content is digital and online and available for, for the same, in theory, localization processes that, that you know, have been established and, of course, fine-tuned and, and, and developed over the, over the years. But the older companies, which have needed to start thinking about this differently, you know, fairly recently, for them, it's a much heavier lift. They are the ones that have issues centralizing where people may not have a real appreciation for what global content means. I'm sure it's just words. Why is it so hard, you know? And there are little pockets everywhere over those, you know, around those organizations where stuff is being translated, nobody's noticing. It's not even a line item. So for those companies to really embrace the idea of global content as a cross-functional, you know, centralized place where you can really reap some economics of scales and, and benefits, that's still a big lift for some of them. And they may as well, they may not have been doing this for all that long, but the company itself can be quite, you know, is old established and usually massive. <laughs> no, no, great points on, and mm -hmm. you sort of mentioned that sort of fast growing, going global from day one, sort of the unicorn, mm -hmm. if I can use yes. that term, you know, yeah. heavily funded organization. And then you've got maybe organizations that have been around before the internet was around. Well, absolutely. And, and there, are, there are many of them, right? Right. Yeah. Big, massive mm -hmm. global brands that we all know mm -hmm. that have been yeah. maybe pre-internet and are now somewhere on a digital transformation journey, aren't they? Absolutely. And that's a big ask, right? Yeah. yeah. Of yeah. course, yeah. even bigger with the pandemic, you know, I think provoked, if that's a good word, change that would have been kind of in the making for a long time. And suddenly people had to really think about how they were doing business pretty much overnight. So yeah. people yeah. were scrambling to a degree. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about that for a moment because the pandemic mm. has impacted businesses around the world, hasn't it? Mm, of and course. Most, most brands have had to shift to this online presence and some of the biggest companies are really struggling to make that shift. Um, some have done very well during the pandemic, but like, what are you, what are you seeing on? Is it, is it are people looking for help to move into this digital space or is it people that are already in the digital space just need to do more of it because it's, it's growing? And what's the impact of that when it comes to the content? Because you've said before that global content it just seems to continue to grow, whether it's audio, video, or the written word. So maybe, if you could maybe expand a little bit on this this growing content that we're seeing, and this sort of impact that the pandemic's had. What what's your view on it? Well, so I think there are some converging meta trends here. One, of course, being digital transformation, as you as you mentioned, and companies having to really think digital first that got you know said really you know was was really accelerated uh, by the pandemic and people who have, might have had nice laid plans for the next 10 years on how to get this and suddenly had to really shift gears overnight and and you know act much more quickly you see some people who had there are some interesting cases people who had started you know brick and mortar kind of combined with digital before the pandemic, but we're moving in that direction, they had a much easier time than the ones that maybe thought, okay, we'll get there like in 2025, right? You had to really uh, change your thinking. But the other trend that's happening at the same time is, of course, growing wealth and changing expectations in certain countries. It's really interesting, say with the Indian subcontinent, where English might have been accepted 
as a business language until fairly recently. And now we are seeing continuously that's no longer acceptable. There is enough, you know, the expectations are changing in India. They want content in their language. They do not want to be spoken to in a language that is not their own anymore. So the, the demand on, on, you know, this is just a side note, but the demand on Indian languages is becoming very high. And we're going to see that um, elsewhere as well. It's, you know, so back in the day, you know, figs and Japanese, right? That's long gone. And at least, you know, but as I said, it's really now the long tail is not that long anymore. Or even if it's long, it's much thicker. <laughs> right. So not only the content type is exploding, but the requirements for certain Absolutely. languages is, is becoming really important. Yeah. Um, and of course, then you're dealing with having to A, the timeframes. So how do you break up your content in such a fashion that it can be more or less continuously published and not to 10 or 15 or 20 locales, but 50, 80, 120 yeah. Yeah, it's a big difference, isn't it? Yeah. So, so you really need to think infrastructure, automation. You know, put, put that, take the, uh, take any friction that you can out of the process and concentrate your talent on where it's needed. To the exceptions and unpredictable, where you know where, where people really add value, automate everything else. But in order to do that, you need to kind of get back to the drawing board and really think about what is your. What is your content? You know, what is your content infrastructure? What do you have? What goes where? Um, yeah, really strategic, really big strategic decisions uh, in some cases. Absolutely. Uh, so can I ask you, when you talk about infrastructure, so I know two topics that are close to your heart are mm. TMSs and the localization decision-making process for companies. Yeah. Now, what are your views on this on? Because obviously... The, the world of TMSs can be quite varied for lots of organizations. To some organizations, they don't know what it is. So you've got a, a huge disparity. Yeah. Uh, but then you've got sort of the decision to localize and making that decision and working with somebody. Mm. Um, and then sort of how that TMS and that infrastructure sort of plays together. What are your views on that? What are your thoughts here? Yeah, and it probably goes back even further, but there are a couple of kind of principles, I guess, I think that's what you're referring to that are kind of near and dear to my heart. And by the way, as a side note, I want to give a little shout out to NIMSI, who published their global uh, language technology roadmap, or ATLAS, excuse me, the other day, and holy, you know, <laughs> it is... Yeah. It's a not getting juggernaut. any smaller, is it? It's a juggernaut of information. Oh, my God. There's There are so many companies out there. And I think, you know, you can expect, you know, consolidation over time. But as you consolidate, new ones are going to pop up. So, it's you know, who knows what this will look like even a couple of years down the road. So a couple of points. If I was starting out on, on a localization journey as a company today, I wouldn't go out and try to buy a TMS because I think it is going to be too slow and it's going to be there are too many moving parts. It's just a little bit daunting. You may, you may, I mean, if you, if you're coming from somewhere, you know that there's something that fits you by all means do it. But more important, the most important point of what I think is you should not buy tech and services from the same company. It's a risk management decision. And it's also, you don't want to paint yourself into a corner in the early days. Most companies out there, us included, have a you know good knowledge about what's suitable, what isn't, enough um, tools in our quiver that we can support 
the content that's needed to be to to go global in the early days. So from a crawl walk around perspective, a you know do it with a trusted partner. You know use technology that's portable, and once you know more and have a greater insight, and maybe have your landscape you know mapped out a little bit further. By all means, at some point go out and buy your, your, your TMS, but you really want to keep things flexible and separate um, in the early days. I think that, that, that I, I, tech and services, you know, thing is still important to me. So I think if you go out to buy a TMS, you don't want to buy services from that same company. And if you buy services, you don't want to be, to be, to be painted into a, to a completely bespoke and homegrown TMS either. So, Keep flexibility, manage risk, keep flexibility. That would be my that would be my advice. I have my, my parallel story here is my dad buying this, you know, all-in-one stereo equipment in the 1970s, you know, <laughs> turntable, radio, cassette deck, speakers, of course, three days in, you know, something broke, and then what do you do? Okay. okay, so flexibility seems to be the watchword here. Exactly. And modular, right? You take a modular approach. So you have yeah. The blocks that are that are you know that that's a much more uh, uh, that's a safer approach, um, less risk prone, and you you know you really want to eliminate the friction and risk out of the process as much as you can. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's that's good. So from a from a flexibility perspective, that leads me nicely onto the next thing I wanted to ask you, which is about. I know you've been heavily involved, and you you've referenced the term already in our discussion about digital first. Mm. And companies working with a digital first approach or, or working with um, VistaTech's digital first strategy. I know that a lot of organizations on this digital transformation role that we've been talking about, these sort of being agile and flexible when it comes to their global content delivery um, mm -hmm. to their, their audiences, their customers, their own people. Yeah. Um, it's become a very important strategy. You, you rightly said earlier, the, the the pandemic has really speed uh, speeded this up hasn't it mm -hmm. yes but you you've done a lot of work with uh, sort of digital natives digital pioneers digital explorers and you've sort of categorized as part of the strategy companies into different groups and how how beneficial has that been to companies are you finding a lot of uh, interest in that in that digital first strategy that you've deployed maybe over the last what year, year two years maybe Yes, I think I think this is something, of course, again, that the pandemic brought to the to the fore in terms of what people really need to do. I I think the categorization is helpful in terms of where do you start? The, the digital natives are are clearly the ones with the that are thinking this way. As they start out, and it makes it makes the process a lot easier because they're not going to they're less likely to create little cubby holes where, you know, content is being created in fifty five million different ways, and then having to scramble to to pull it all together. And I think really that is the one of the big challenges for the digital explorers, which are the companies that we really talked about uh, earlier on that are far from being digital natives have had to, I think in the past, maybe taken a, an approach that says, okay, if we must, we'll do it. 
but that means that if you if you if you don't do it with an overall strategy starting out it's going to be piecemeal you're creating silos little cubby holes things are being done in different ways in different parts of the company this particular division is using you know this content management system and a different division could be using something entirely different right so you have this plethora of things that have been pieced together over time and now suddenly you're going to have to take a step back and go ah this is probably not efficient and where do we start in order to actually create an infrastructure that supports the speed at which global content needs to be created these days and I, so i think our approach and our there's a lot of resources on our website i think would be very helpful and interesting to people who are really trying to think about global content and how global content will drive you know their branding and revenue going forward Okay, now that that's really interesting because sometimes when when people talk about being digital first mm. and digital transformation, there's a, an applied assumption that everybody moves at the same time. And you've brought a really interesting point to that because within large organisations and particularly mm. global organisations, mm. there are these pockets that you're referring to, aren't there? And they're all moving at different speeds and different programs and different tools and different infrastructure and that's a really important point when you get into the whole digital first strategy, which, as you say, is tied significantly tied to the requirements that an organization in today's world has, which is content at speed almost. So, uh, Absolutely. And, you know, at the end of the day, there is also people to consider. There are, you know, processes, there are assets, but there are also people. And one thing to think about in the digital first strategy creation is also, I think, the, the localization maturity model from CSA, which is quite helpful in terms of how you deal with. And of course, that model deals with all of the aspects I just mentioned, but very importantly with people and how, how do you how do you bring people who might be, you know, uh, I think the what is the, the, the lowest rate on their scale is hostile, <laughs> which is, you know, sometimes not untrue, but into this whole ecosystem that you need to build you know uh, and make it making them part of that process rather than rather than you know doing it uh, despite their potential objections so you need to really explain to people what you're trying to achieve make sure that that that, that picture is clear and then you know probably find find a good find a good garden project to start with and show success so you can then start roping in the rest of the of the organization I still talk about, you know, I call it dark matter, right? There's still going to be these little areas where things are happening and you just don't know what they are. <laughs> and trying That's to very good. I like you that. know, 80-20 rule, right? The last 20% is the, might might take a very long time. But at that point, the, the return on investment is probably worth it, but it's not as high as it would be, you know, for the more obvious uh, areas that you need to deal with. I love the term dark matter. That's a great way of <laughs> bringing that to top of mind. Yeah. Can I ask you a quick side question on what you've said? Sure. Because mm -hmm. while you were talking there, it made me think about the importance of localization. And mm. I suppose, you know, back in 97, I'm guessing it wasn't as high up on the radar as it is today. And from what you're describing there, it sounds as though this is a really fundamental strategic decision that companies are not just need to make, but that they're having to make it. It's so high up now. Or am I wrong in saying that? Like, is it as high well, as the perception I'm getting here? 
I think there's both a push and a pull, right? So they're clearly for if you if you if you want to take your business international, yes, it is absolutely a must. And as I said, the 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 expectations, and of course, I, I should have mentioned regulations as well for content to be accepted, and your you know you to be able to sell your products in in different countries, or you know, or or you know. Pushing about, I think there's also a certain amount of pulling that it's, it's actually digital first means it's also easier. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to print fifty thousand, you know, uh, manuals of, you know, you know, this stack this high in the old tech products. You might have, I mean, literally a box of printed materials that is no longer needed. That's not how, so. So there is an awful lot of physical requirements that have gone away, unless you are a company that actually requires, you know, things like airports and warehouses. But when you get to the for the end from the end customer's perspective, the, the global global content can really you know be a huge driver of global revenue these days. Without is it, you know a lot of infrastructure is actually gone, which is fantastic. Um, and the other yeah that that is that's important. I think the other thing, of course, is you know the other meta trend out there. I mean, I thought that is obvious to anyone is globalization itself, right? So in spite of you know we've seen some traces of nativism, I guess, in the last five years or so. But, you know, in spite of that, that we can't stop this juggernaut. It's just going to go on. Mm. Okay, no, great points on. Thank you. Um, so let's, let's, let's go in a slightly different direction now. And I just wanted to touch on, I, I know you're a Think Global Forward ambassador and have been for, mm. for, for a long while now, and you've been involved in lots of the events. But mm. one of the things I wanted to touch on was the fact that when we're rapidly approaching the launch of year five of the Think Global Awards. And I know last year's winners included people like Visit Sweden, were a winner mm -hmm. from last Indeed, year. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Ulrich Hines, for example, well-known in the localization mm -hmm. industry, obviously, mm -hmm. and uh, CSA Research, just, just to name a few. So, um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on the awards this year? It's year five. I think uh, it really getting some traction and in spite, of course, of the lack of in-person ceremonies last year and this year, really. Um, I think things are way too unpredictable at this stage that we're going to do anything in person. But I think it's really gaining traction. Um, you know, the Oscars of the, the Oscars of the localization industry. Um, and the amount of, um, of applications that we're getting and the quality of those applications. Uh, I think in general, we've seen that, you know, uh, that's, in, you know, getting better and better over time. So I would just encourage everyone to, uh, who has a great story to tell, to apply. The cat, we changed the categorization a little bit this year, Simon, I think, but I'll wait that's for right. the announcement to get into detail here. So there are some good kind of timely ones, seeing how, how the world is, is changing. No, no, thank you, Anna. I was just interested in your view because with year, like we've seen the the awards program grow substantially every year. Uh, mm -hmm. You're right. Um, we've we've had the applications continue to just astound us. People mm -hmm. from all all areas of the world apply for it. Obviously, a lot yeah. in the USA, Europe, Asia, yeah. example. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we 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 haven't been able to do the awards without at least ten judges. Now it just continues to grow and grow and grow. Yeah, so yeah. we're really excited. It'll be September this year. So um, yeah, stay tuned for that. There'll be more. And you're right. There's some very interesting categories this year. We do like to change mm. them up now and again. Yeah. Um, so and I think there's some that are very very relevant to maybe the last twelve months that we've all been yeah. through. So yeah. 
Okay, so while we're talking about events, because you mentioned sort of the, the events now are, are sort of mainly virtual in, in lots mm -hmm. of parts of the world. Mm. Uh, there are some hybrid events taking place. There's a few in-person events I know creeping out, but it's still quite slow mm -hmm. for people to return to this uh, in-person. But VistaTech is sponsoring the uh, AMTA, the MT conference, isn't it? The MT Summit. Yes, that's uh, going to be super interesting. That's uh, That's next week. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also, I, I know that uh, plans to go to the, I think it's the fifth year of Slatercon this year as well. So I know Vistech has a presence there. We do. They do, they do a couple of a year, I guess. So okay. we'll okay. be there in September as well. September, yeah. And of I course, the long stand. Still fully online, yeah. Yeah, I believe so. I think it's still fully mm -hmm. online. And mm -hmm. I know you've long-standing relationships still with people like Gara and Localization World and people course, in Vista yeah. Tech are involved with organizations such as uh, women in localization, et cetera. So yeah. how, how important is it to, uh, how important has it been to maintain the events, even in a virtual capacity over the last while? And what do you oh, think, what do you think the future looks like? Super important, of course, you know, and uh, we're, we all started to worry about um, Zoom fatigue, for lack of a of a better word, and I think everyone is trying to you know mix it up, make it as interesting as as possible as we go. And I think we'll be doing a good job there. I mean, the interesting part with everything being online and not in person, of course, in a way, it's a great equalizer. Apart from time zones, you know, which of course you know you may not want to be up at two a.m., but really and truly, suddenly people can actually meet regardless of where they are. So that the the you know the absence of of travel in a way has actually brought people together more closely which i find very interesting the future yes it's going to be very interesting to see how these hybrid events work out i know there is you know really some quite innovative uh, approaches there to how you bring physical and virtual people into the into the same room um, but maybe life-size screens and little pods and whatever, but, but we shall see. And at the same time, there's also good advance, I think, in these networking, online networking um, applications, right, that allow for breakout rooms and whatever, including now little avatars, you know, so you have an avatar with maybe a live head on it and people can go up and shake hands. <laughs> it's kind of fun, actually. Um, so in a way, I mean, I doubt that things will ever get back to the way they were but exactly what that looks like I think is still in the making and in the meantime you know we as a company will make sure that we cover you know that we press on with thought leadership which is of course incredibly important getting people from I think either similar disciplines or it doesn't have to be disciplines similar part of the world, similar disciplines, similar interests, similar verticals, you know, anything, or, or, or for that matter, sometimes it's even more interesting when people are coming from different angles together in a room to kind of talk about what the future might hold, their challenges, how we might, you know, how we might solve them together, how we, you know, how, how, we, how we drive uh, global content forward. No, that, thank you, On and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, interested on, in your views on the, on the events there because um, it, it, it has been uh, very different mm. and continues to be. But um, yeah. I, I wanted to mention, though, one, one event that springs to mind that I know you, you were involved in was a charity ball event. And, yes. Uh, 
you know, I know Visitech doesn't, it's not really something that we uh, shout about a lot, but mm. I did want to touch on this charity ball event because I thought it was a really nice thing to be involved in. So could you maybe share a little bit of detail about that? Because it was, it was a, quite an interesting one. It was, it was a really fantastic event. I think it was very, it was really interesting because from a purely human perspective, you actually get to know what people care about and, and are, are passionate about. And that's, you know, very nice way to, to build bridges and in an environment that is where we really were isolated, bringing people closer together. That's one aspect. I think the other aspect that's interesting here, and again, you know, want to thank uh, Sasha Strauss for his always amazing insights, but for any company today, it's not, you know, enough to just be around, you know, you, every company needs a point of view. That doesn't mean that you have to stand up on the barricades or, or the opposite, right? But it means you, you, you need to stand for something. And giving back to the, to the communities in either in which we work or in, in which we live is, you know, an important part of being a global citizen. So I think I can't emphasize enough how important the event was. And we are, this is not, this is going to be the first of many. Yeah, no, it, it was incredible. And I, I, I particularly liked how um, you mentioned Professor Sasha Strauss, how he mm. sort of talked about that important link uh, from an yeah. employee perspective, from a customer mm. perspective. Yeah. Uh, and I thought the charity ball was something that was, um, if you'd have said to me maybe three, four years ago, we're going to do a, a charity ball during a pandemic mm. and it's all going to be online, I just, I'd have been quite confused. Mm. But it was an exceptionally well uh, executed event. I think everybody who attend mm. really enjoyed it. They got a lot out of it. Um, yeah. So no, that's great. And great to hear that there's more plans for that. So I, I look yes, forward to indeed. that. We kind of, we had, I think we had thought that maybe we would have um, a VIP event on this theme connected to Low World, but I think Low World is still, we, we may still do it, but we were hoping for though was the, the actual ball gowns, you know, and the... <laughs> yeah, there's, there's still hope. There's, on. I don't still, think that's going to happen quite yet. We're, we're still hopeful. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yes. Absolutely. Hope's eternal. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, just to just to before we start heading to to Rabopia, I do want to ask you a couple of other quick things, if I can, because mm -hmm. you've had some new shows over the last year, and some great discussions have come out of those. And the mm -hmm. two that I wanted to ask you about was this uh, fantastic um, discussion stroke show, which is all things global. And I know yeah. you've got some key people involved in that and you've had some mm. wonderful discussions. And I also would like you to touch on maybe ex-cultural, which mm -hmm. is a little bit different in itself too. So where did these come from? Who's involved? And what what are the plans for these? Because they, they've been very well received. Yeah, and both of them, I think, touch, touch on, 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 again, on thought leadership. All things global, and it's a, it's a bit of an Americanism. Most people over here will get the... Um, the celebration, I guess, of all things considered, which is our, you know, uh, National Public Radio news show in the afternoons. And we wanted to do something that had that sense of, of you know, a deeper dive into topics that are not necessarily focused on localization as a discipline, but rather the forces around localization that drives global content and globalization and what we do forward. So, for example, we were talking to David Rosenberg, who is a well-renowned economist about the homegrown economy and what that means for, for, you know, for how we work in general. 
and how that drives uh, globalization as well. So that was a really, really interesting thought. We, of course, have done one with, with you know, again, with Professor Sasha Strauss um, and other people who are working, as I said, it's not necessarily localization as a discipline, but rather the big forces around, around localization. Um, and I find them very informative, I have to say. Now, ex-cultural deals more with, you know, the intersection of, of, of you know, passion and culture and global communications. And it's a little bit, I'm not going to say lighter, but it's probably a, a bit more um, conversational, less of, a, less of an interview, a uh, deep dive interview, and more conversational with, with people who represent that cross-section. So we have had uh, a Sahai now of, of CHEG, um, and a few other people just talking about either what brought, what drove them and how, what, you know their background or maybe a like a common language like baseball. Yeah, I was listening to the the one with mm. Accenture, which I think was one of the latest ones. Oh, absolutely about sustainability. Yeah. Yes, yeah, of course. A very good discussion. The global concept. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, so more of those to come. I'm assuming. Absolutely, or oh, there definitely are. I think. Yeah. Watch this space. There'll be some new dates out fairly soon. Very good. So on, we've, we've talked about an awful lot there. We've touched on the charity ball, touched on all things global. We've mentioned ex-cultural, Think Global Awards coming up. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about everything from TMSs and you know, localization decision processes. Mm. We even we even squeezed in Microsoft and uh, uh, 1988 uh, back at the very beginning of our discussion. Mm. But before we wrap up, before we end, is there anything mm. else you'd like to share with our audience that we haven't maybe discussed today or anything else you'd like to say well thank you Simon you know as always a pleasure I think one of my one of my thoughts every morning when I wake up these days is like interesting times ahead <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's you know good bad or indifferent uh, right a lot of challenges to you know for humanity to solve clearly but also for how can we as an industry, you know, help drive uh, the changes that are needed for a more, you know, interconnected world where people communicate clearly to each other and people have equal access to, to content that's meaningful. Perfect. Okay. Well, listen, on continued success with everything that you do. Likewise, uh, thank you. It's, it's a wonderful journey with, with new surprises every day. So we Absolutely, look never to... boring, never a dull moment. <laughs> never a dull moment for sure. Well, look, that's the end of today's show with Unvilius, our Chief Sales Officer here at Vista Tech. So please make sure to tune in again to see or and or listen to the next Vista Talk show where once again, we hope to be discussing more interesting topics with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. 